right, everybody. Welcome back to a brand new season of the Fraud Boxer podcast. Uh, today is going to be episode one of the brand new season, and it's going to be an interesting one because I have my own team here today. So I have Steve Kim over here, and I have Christopher De La Fuente, who we call KDF internally. We'll probably try to refer to him as Christopher for the, the sake of this podcast. But I am joined by my very own team. So how are you guys doing today? Doing good, Jordan. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, thanks for being a guest and uh, probably at, at some point stroking my ego maybe a little bit, you know? How are you doing, Chris? <laughs> oh, good, man. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having us on. Uh, pretty excited for this. So. Yeah, I think it'll be good for people to understand what it's like to to work at iHerb and understand kind of what we do, how we structure our team, what it's like working with me, what it was like before me, what it's like after me, and some of the things that we're working on. Um, I think we pride ourselves on on being pretty pretty close to the forefront of our industry on the technologies that we use and some of the processes that we see. So I think that um, it's going to be kind of cool to share what we can share, of course, with the with the broader audience so people know what it's like on a day-to-day for us. So um, obviously, everybody here, you kind of know me, Jordan Harris, I'm the, 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 the main guy on the Fraud Boxer podcast, the senior director of the Fraud Prevention team at iHerb. Uh, so why don't you guys both introduce yourselves? Steve, we'll kind of start with you, and then uh, Christopher, we'll go to you. Sure. Yeah, my name is Steve. I am the manager of the fraud prevention team here at iHerb. Um, I have five years of experience in the fraud industry, all of which you know I've accumulated through my tenure here at iHerb. Um, I actually started off as a regular associate, um, like many do so in the industry. Uh, back then, when I was a regular associate, uh, my primary tasks back then were just you know reviewing the manual, the manual review queue, handling customer contacts, and um, heading up the fraud side of our referral program. And today in my role, uh, I, I just help out with, you know, coaching and mentoring our associates, uh, facilitating resources needed for our initiatives. And also I work on the, the fraud strategy for our team. Yes, you do. Christopher, what about you, man? That's your history here. <laughs> yeah. Hey, everybody. Um, yeah. My name is uh, Chris De La Fuente. I've been, uh, well, I've been at iHerb now for about going on six years. Uh, I'm about to hit six years, I think, this June. Um, have been in the fraud industry now for about seven years i would say um came in to iherb already with some knowledge and you know and was able to help out basically coming in and and heading up you know chargebacks and how to dispute them you know and stuff like that um we had a relatively small team at the time for the amount of volume that we were doing so um yeah i've, I've definitely been fortunate enough to see the changes that we've made you know within our department and 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 just making you know the overall process better. Um, yeah, and you uh, we brought you into leadership about probably the last quarter of of last year, so a little over a year. And you kind of wound up at getting yeah. the crash course in, in people <laughs> management with some of the changes that we had to make uh, right yeah. away with some layoffs and things. That was uh, quite the introduction into uh, people management. There. Yeah, it's definitely been quite a year, especially coming in and um, you know just uh, yeah, it's been quite yeah. an experience for sure. So yeah, it, it was a quick year. It was a quick year. I'm really looking forward to this year, seeing what we have in, you know, what, what we have in store and, and going from here. Yeah. Normally in these things I would, I would do at this point, like how, how we all met, but I think um, you guys met me when I got hired to come in here back in December of 21. Uh, normally I try to do like a little process. Um, uh, Christopher, I, I gave you the book, uh, the, the first 90 days where it's like you kind of ease into to managing your, your new your new folks, yeah. get a lay of the land, figure out how, why the company operates the way it does, how it operates, 
understand your people before you start making any changes, before you start ripping anything out. That way it's not a, a jarring experience. You really want to learn the underlying process. But unfortunately, the, the nature of, of how our um, our business was working at the time with the, the Russia and Ukraine situation, we, our timeline kind of got up. So we had to start making decisions a lot quicker. So I apologize, guys, that we didn't get to have the, the nice, smooth, easy transition. But I think at the end of the day, we all uh, found our way pretty quickly in how we work with each other. So, yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about your guys' history before we get into kind of what we do and how our days are. Um, granted, you guys just talked about your history here at iHerb, but let's talk about how you wound up into fraud. I always like to have my guests on the on the show talk about how they wound up in fraud a lot. I mean, now there's like some, some courses that you can do where people kind of take this career path. But at the time when we all got into it, this was not something that I think uh, anybody even really realized existed as a job. Um, and here we all are several years into our tenure as doing this full time, uh, paying the bills, buying houses, all those sorts of things. So let's let's talk to both of you guys, how you both wound up in fraud. And, and Steve, we'll kind of start with you and then uh, KDF will go to you and we'll kind of keep that that pattern probably the whole way through this thing. Um, but feel free to jump in on, on anything if you guys have anything to add over each other or over me. This is very much a conversation. This isn't Jordan just talking. Um, I do love to hear the sound of my own voice, but I also love to hear my guests. So yeah, Steve, how'd you get into fraud? <laughs> yeah, so I got into fraud probably by chance and luck, to be honest. Um, so I, I guess I can take you back to, you know, when I just graduated from college. Uh, my first job out of college was actually um, as a private investigator. So I would, you know, follow people around and, you know, work on like fraudulent, what, what is the word? Insurance claims. Were you like, like taking pictures of them, like lifting boxes and stuff, that sort of thing? That was exactly what I was doing. And I, I didn't That's really gnarly. feel, yeah, I didn't really feel too comfortable with like, you know, the nature and the ethicality of the job. So I didn't really last too long um, in that. Did anybody in that like, did anybody ever like approach you? Yeah. Like while you're taking pictures? In that? <laughs> yeah, there, there, there's some stories I can tell you guys offline, but yeah, I definitely got approached before, uh, not by the subject, but, you know, by people, bystanders. Yeah, by people that live in the neighborhood and just kind of, you know, just pretty much doing like a neighborhood watch, like, what are you doing here? But yeah, that, that I, I didn't really last too long there. So um, <laughs> wow. yeah, the second job, my second job after that one, um, I actually took on a position as an entry level position at a commercial financing company. And is that this company where, you know, I learned a lot about, you know, how commercial uh, loans work and all that good stuff. I was actually working towards a credit, credit analyst position at this company. Um, but unfortunately, um, it was contingent upon openings and there weren't any openings during my time. So um, things weren't moving as fast as I, I had hoped. So that's where I started to you know look at what opportunities what opportunities are out there and I came across the the fraud prevention associate listing on I think it was like indeed or something back then and I was fortunate enough to land an interview and uh, thankfully the hiring manager back then her name was uh, Andrea Albini she I guess I guess she liked me so she hired me and that's how I pretty much got into fraud see it's always it's always these interesting paths that we all had to take what about you kdf how did you get into fraud yeah it's a um <clears throat> i remember when when you got hired steve that was um <clears throat> i think we all we are initially liked you right away from the very beginning so uh shout out to andrea for making the right call on that one <laughs> that's i mean that's good hey you know <laughs> but um yeah i i kind of came up i think in an uh sort of an un unorthodox kind of way as well i my first job out of high school, I was working at at Disneyland. I started off as a busboy there. Um, 
at, you know, some of the restaurants, but, you know, eventually kind of just switched jobs at obviously, you know, during that time when you're fresh out of high school, you're kind of looking for your, for yourself, right. And your career path and stuff like that. Um, but I ended up at this company called Monoprice and I really, I started off in the warehouse there. I was a, um, I was hired through a tap agency and I was unloading containers for the first few weeks, literally like breaking my back. I, at one point I actually thought like I, my back was going to go out because it was starting to hurt. Thankfully, uh, they were able to switch me into a, you know, less physical demanding role within the warehouse. And, you know, I, I just kept doing my work for about a year, year and a half. I just, I was grinding it out. And, um, you know, I put myself out there on a very regular basis. I said, Hey, you know, I have experience in sales. I have experience with this, you know, let me see if I can get into your customer service, you know, roles somehow, you know, and, and eventually was able to get an interview. Um, from the interview, I got hired into the RMA department there at Monoprice and, you know, just made the right connections and um, showed interest and just, and, and everything that I was doing, obviously, you know, I, I definitely put in the work, but when it came to fraud, I, I think I had an extra, a little, you know, the spark boost, behind it, spark you know? behind it, because yeah. I, at that time I was kind of even uh, also looking to get into police force, you know, and stuff like that. But once I saw the fraud thing, I was like, Hey, this is very interesting. I never knew this existed. And the guy who was running at the time, um, <clears throat> Joseph Chavez, shout out to that guy. He really kind of mentored me into going into the fraud world. And he showed me the ropes. He would train me. And, and really, um, I think within like six months, he was able to get my foot in the door. And then within like the first week or two that I was in fraud, he said, oh, by the way, um, you know, I'm I'm leaving. And yeah. I'm like, what do you mean, bro? So <laughs> once he left, though, I kind of just assumed the role there and I was able to take it upon myself and I was able to build um, different analytics there that I would, you know, show it to my manager and then they would pass it on to the director. And then from there, they would show it on the monthly meetings, you know, with the executive team there and stuff. So I was able to get my name out there um, within about a year or so, Joseph calls me up and says, Hey man, I, I need an analyst to come over here to iHerb. And I'm like, you know, I'm ready, man. What's up What what, what you got? And sure enough, here I am. Yeah. And that's how I got here. I think you kind of left out a little part in the middle there where you also did, um, you and I both play guitar. Um, we played guitar together mm -hmm. and yeah. I think there was a whole part in the middle there where you, you, you spent some time at some of our favorite establishments, the, uh, guitar center and the Sam Ash. I think that might come up on my next question too, though. But, yeah. uh, yeah. yeah, I spent some time there. Um, yeah. it was, it was exciting, but we'll leave that for the next one. Yeah. Cause we, we have a whole outline here that we're gonna, we're gonna kind of stick to. So, I mean, obviously, um, you know, building off of, of fraud wasn't our, um, ever our intentions in life. What were some of your guys' goals? Like, what did, what did you guys see? Like, you know, when we're all in, in elementary school, we're gonna, like, this is what we're going to do when we grow up. What, what were you guys going to do when you grow up? And like, Steve, we'll start with you again on that one. Yeah. So my goals have kind of shifted, you know, as I've, I guess gone through gone through life. So yeah, out of college, I thought I was gonna be, you know, going into the law enforcement uh side like KDF. Um but it was during my time here at, at iHerb actually. Um I was making pretty rapid progress, I would say. Um and yeah. you know, I, I was I guess fortunate enough to have met, you know, good bosses that allowed me to grow in the industry as fast as you know I did. Um, and that also, they also helped, you know, expose me to the, the potential 
of a, a an actual career in this industry. Yeah. So, um, I mean, from there, you know, I, I did dabble a little bit in like the data analytics side, like business intelligence side. I was actually really interested in it. I did some did some self learning and and kind of learned how to uh, write code in like SQL and all that stuff. Um, so that was also like a, a little side thing that I was trying to accomplish. And through there, you know, I, you know, I made some good friends in our BI team and, you know, thinking that maybe they'll, you know, be able to help me out in the future. Um, but my, my goal right now, it's probably just to, you know, continue to learn and just keep up to date with all things like fraud and payments related, and probably just try to climb the corporate ladder as, as high as I can go. <laughs> and then I guess a longer term goal would be, you know, I, I still want to work in this industry, the fraud and payments industry. But it's always been a goal of mine to kind of own and run a small business, uh, something absentee owned where, you know, I don't have to be there every day, you know, yeah. eight hours, 10 hours a day. So that's like my long term vision. A little passive income situation, like four hour work week, Timothy Ferris style. Um, yeah. I will say, you know, just to, not to, before we go into your part, KDF, about this, I think it, there's an interesting thing in there where, um, you know, not just the rapid progress, you know, rapid progress, I think, helps like solidify people's like if you can reward employees and show that they have momentum and, and, and progress in their in their career path it doesn't have to be promoting them every 15 minutes but like just showing them that there is momentum and there is longevity if they stick to a certain path can go a long ways and i think a lot of people overlook that especially like if you see like middle management like you go on like uh, reddit like anti-work and work reform and all that they always are complaining about middle managers but it's always the same type of complaint that like people feel stuck in a rut and like spinning wheels and there's a lot of things that you can do for people to to show them that there is momentum and, and some of those things can be monetary and some of those things can be non-monetary you know something as simple as sending somebody to a conference is is goes a lot a long ways for people that don't normally get to be exposed to those sorts of things or, or going out to, to dinners vendor dinners little things that show that like you're making investments in in the people can go a long ways and i was just talking to even before this guys um i was talking to one of my friends at, at jp morgan chase um, about a role that she has open that I kind of put up on, on LinkedIn today that she's trying to fill fill some some stuff. And we were kind of going over other people in the industry that are in this industry that have talked about leaving this industry. And um, I know a couple of people that are like, I think I'm just going to look for jobs outside of this industry. And every time I have to say like, you know, there's a million accountants out there, but there's only a few thousand of us fraud people. And that puts us in a unique position of being experts in our industry and being efficient and, and effective at, at what we do that it gives us an ability to climb that corporate ladder, like you said, in, in a different type of fashion and also command a different type of price because it's a highly specialized skill that not a lot of people possess. So we all know each other in this industry. And, and it's, I just couldn't imagine leaving because basically not only would it feel like starting over, but I feel like the, 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 the pay in other industries for similar titles is just so far different from what we get paid in this industry because of our specialized talent. Does that make sense, guys? Yeah, Jordan, you make a good point because um, while I was in the process of applying for law enforcement, I probably told Christopher this when I was going through the process. Um, I actually made it pretty far. I, I would say probably just like one more step and you know they would have offered me you know, the, the cadet position. Um, but it was it was at a point where you know I made good progress in the in, in the fraud industry, and I, I had to kind of weigh out you know the pros and cons of like which route to take. And one of the the downsides of me leaving fraud and going into law enforcement was that I felt like it would be a lot harder for me if say law enforcement law enforcement you know wasn't the thing for me. 
I thought it'd be much more difficult for me to return into this field and into the position that I am currently currently in, um, rather than the other way around, like law enforcement. There's there is an age cap with certain agencies, but I still have the option if you know I, I end yeah. up saying you know fraud and payments <laughs> industry is not for me. So yeah, well, yeah. we're not gonna let that happen. But you know, it's not not the part of the bullets being fired at you. Like that that's not that's that'd be a big con for me, you know. But yeah. Yeah, yeah that's that thing. too. That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and I think we'll kind of talk about. I, I do want to talk touch on some of those sorts of things when we when we get into when we talk about iHerb and and some of the differences. So we'll we'll we'll, we'll circle back to that. KDF, let's talk about kind of you um, real quick. Let's do your what were your big dreams? What were your big big plans? What were you trying to do? And then we're gonna start talking about iHerb. Yeah. Oh man. Um. Yeah. I've you know as as life has gone by, definitely my goals have shifted. You know when I was. A kid growing up, I I wanted to be Bono from U two, you know that's who I wanted. That to be is your I favorite band, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, no, growing up, I I was really um, I I played various instruments, um, was able to pick up the guitar at a young age, and then I eventually from there I picked up different stuff like the bass, you know, the drums, and, and to the point where I had an entire basically recording studio in my house, and I wanted to really be in the music industry in one way or another. Um, and then from there, I kind of decided to, you know, work at Guitar Center and Sam Ash. And I was a, a sales associate there for for quite some time. I was in the pro audio section, recording section, you know, and stuff like that. Um, it kind of, I think being in that industry, especially in that sales part, maybe had a little bit to do with like a, like a backfire for the music industry because I, I ended up kind of getting a little burnt out by it. Yeah, and I would. I can see that. Know, I, yeah, I would. I would make all the intention to like, okay, I'm going to go home and I'm going to do some recording, you know, I'm going to do this, but I'd get home and I'm kind of like, I don't want to be around technology. You just right spent now. all yeah. day already like, doing that yeah, kind of stuff exactly. and selling it I to people. Yeah. Kept hearing a bunch of people playing the same riffs or playing the same stuff, you know, on the piano. And Smoke on the water, of, baby, every day. Oh man, you know how many times I heard that, uh, <laughs> the one from Slash, what's that song? Um, <laughs> sweet child of mine yeah they have that on that <laughs> stupid uh that, like geico commercial yeah or whatever every right time now. i see that commercial like eesh. but yeah so <clears throat> i um unfortunately i just kind of you know drifted away from it a little bit obviously i still have the passion and, and, and the love for music and you know i still have my guitar i still you know pick it up every once in a while and stuff like that but um you know i just kind of drifted away from it and really from there i think my obviously my goals shifted right i just um at one point, I was just kind of, you know, going from job and, and I, I ended up in the warehouse, you know, at at Monoprice. And I think that's when it really hit me. I'm like, man, this isn't and not to say anything bad about that kind of work. I'm just I, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. I thought, yeah, I really that's need what, to do something about this. There's people that really like warehouse work. They like the physicality yeah. of it. Like and then there's mm -hmm. people that don't, you know, but that's just that's just that type of people. Like some people just like to be out walking around wearing a Carhartt jacket, lifting boxes because they get to have their headphones in and, you know, yeah. like they get to clock out and when they clock out and they go home, like they go home, like you, the three yeah. of us that are on this call, like as you guys have very much known, we're always on. Like if something always. happens in the middle of the night, like we have to deal with it. And and the unfortunate thing is a lot of the, the, the people that we work with and we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, are not in this con this country <laughs> so we, yeah. that kind of messes up the times that we have to be yeah as well yeah so, so <clears throat> the thing is is once i got so if we let's fast forward a little bit once i got into um monoprice and in the rma section this is where i think my life really took a very pivotal turn um 
I was, again, I was also thinking about going into law enforcement. But when I got into the RMA and the customer service portion and monoprice, I was extremely fortunate to have a good boss or some good bosses who really allowed me to think for myself and kind of expand, you know, my wings and be creative on how I approached on the daily tasks, you know, and stuff like that. And when I assumed the role on the, in the fraction there, you know, at monoprice, they said, Hey man, do your thing. They trusted me enough to be able to kind of, you know, deliver on what I said I was going to do. And that really, for me, was what opened the doors with, you know, in this industry and just in corporate America, I was like, you know, I, I, I like this. Like, I really think that I can go somewhere with this. And it was the fact that they made me, you know, they, they allowed for the doors to be open and they allowed me to walk through it. They weren't micromanaging. They weren't, you know, it, it was a really, really good experience that I had there. And it was wow. because of them that I was able to grow. And um, yeah, so, you know, shout out to them for, for allowing me to do that. Now my goals are, you know, obviously I want to continue to learn here in the fraud industry and in the payment side and, you know, continue talking to vendors as, as we, you know, usually yeah. do. But um, yeah, I, I, I also, I recently decided to go back to school as well. So I've been doing that and I've been studying statistics. I might think my long-term goal right now is to kind of hopefully sort of bridge the gap between data science and fraud prevention. Well, there's good news. Um, data science and fraud prevention are, are becoming very much entwined. Yeah. Um, we used yeah. to have a, we used to have a, like actually um, one, one of the reasons that I did join iHerb was there was a, um, a gentleman that I worked with at Ticketmaster that was one of the data science team. He originally was on the fraud prevention team over there right before I took it over in, in 2020 um, as I was doing the chargebacks at first and just advising on the, on the, um, the fraud team, but he was on the data science team for the fraud specifically. And then he, he kind of left the project and left the, the company during the 2020 shutdown. And he was over here at iHerb. And uh, when I joined, I was working with him and he was going to run some analytics around, around the stuff that we did. But obviously Ukraine and Russia obviously changed a lot of things. So we didn't quite get the time allocation with yeah. him that I had, I had hoped, but let's, yeah. um let's talk now. We're going to talk about management styles and, and bosses and those sorts of things and career tra trajectories a little more. I think we'll, we'll, we'll find a spot to put that in over here because I do think it's important. Um, so let's, let's pivot to what we do in our company. So our company is iHerb everybody. And uh, Steve, why don't you kind of run the people with the, um, with what iHerb actually is. It's not a weed company, everybody. We don't sell weed. We don't even sell CBD products at this time. We are a health and wellness. So Steve, why don't you take it away on that one? Yeah. Like Jordan said, we're not a weed company, but uh, we're an e-commerce company specializing in products related to, you know, health and wellness. So things like vitamins, supplements. Um, also, we, we do sell some groceries. It makes up a smaller portion of our sales, but we do sell grocery products like herbs and spices, like potato chips, chocolate slash candy, you know, the, the healthy kinds. We don't sell like Doritos over here. Um, and our mission here at iHerb is to, you know, make uh health and wellness uh, accessible to the whole world. Yeah, so I, just for the, the people out there, like uh, my US based, which a lot of my, my listener base, on, according to the uh, traffic models, is US based. Um, we don't do a lot of business in the US. And I've said it on a few of my podcasts before, competition is pretty stiff in the US. We do have Amazon here that gets things quickly, everybody's familiar with. So um, the vast majority of our business, greater than 90% of our business is, is done outside of the US. Um, and we specialize in the Middle East, um, in the APAC regions, you know, like uh, Korea, Japan, China, um, typically Russia, 
Um, however, right now with the current conflict, we are not doing business with Russia, but we do do business with the Ukraine. Uh, we, those people do need their vitamins. They still are allowed to get their vitamins over there. And, and we want to be able to make sure that we are supplying health and wellness products to people that are in need in countries like that. Um, and then a lot of South America, those are emerging markets, you know, Mexico, Brazil, uh, Brazil's been emerging for a long time. Um, hopefully it will emerge fully now under new leadership, but we'll see about that. Uh, those are the, the regions that we really specialize in. Um, Saudi Arabia is, is a really big one of, for us. So getting our products into territories that that historically don't get serviced by companies like us, including Africa even, which that's a really challenging market. And I think a lot of the things that, that um, makes our particular challenge for the three of us unique, and we do have four um, manual review analysts on the team as well, but what makes it unique is the challenges in those markets. Those are markets that not a lot of people have had a lot of experience in. And they have their own complete sets of user behaviors, shipping to things like lockers versus houses. Address formats are different. Purchase patterns are different. The amount of products that they can buy to get through certain customs limitations are different. And these present a completely unique set of challenges that that requires a certain level of expertise. And I definitely don't claim to be that at all. And I don't claim to ever have that knowledge about that. I do pride myself that you guys have that knowledge and you guys can um, can help me when I when I need it. But for the most part, I try to do my best to let you guys be autonomous on how you approach these sorts of things. Now, one of the big things that I did do was come in and kind of mix up how we use our tools um, and the types of tools that we use. We were a lot more machine learning and instant based than we were in, in the past, a little more rules based. I will say, though, that when I got here and we'll talk about this right now, um, is we when I got here, there was a very robust program in place. And a lot of that is credit to the, my predecessor, Sheldon, and you guys and, and the work that you guys had done to, to do to a really a set of really nice foundation for us to build and, and bring us to this new modern age. So let's talk about that, guys. Um, you guys can jump in either way, whoever wants to. You can talk back and forth with each other, however it works. But let's talk about kind of the history of, of the, the fraud prevention in this department as, as you guys have been here um, and then some of the changes that went through and then where we're at kind of now, but we can, we can take some time on this. Let's, let's really flesh this out. Yeah, we were, we were already using threat metrics and we were using threat metrics actually at my old job too. So I came in a little familiar with it. I wasn't really in side, you know, manipulating a lot of the rules, but when I came in, I kind of like was able to go around, you know, the portal and I, I, I knew what I was looking at. But it wasn't until I think Sheldon came and um, really tweaked a bunch of the rules in there and and really just revamped the whole process for, for the entire team. He lowered the review rate by a lot. I don't remember the exact number, but a lot of the stuff that he did really helped our team out with just the review rate and, um, you know, false positives at the end of the day as well. And he, he, he did a tremendous job. Um, I think, Steve, you can probably speak a little more to to Sheldon's uh, portion on that? Yeah, so I started around the same time as Sheldon and I know the first initiative that he had was to pretty much overhaul the TMX policy, threat metrics policy that we had in place. Yeah, he did a really good job with that actually. Um, and we re recently engaged professional services to kind of try to challenge our, our default policy that uh, Sheldon mainly created. And it turns out, you know, the the current policy that we had was actually the best fit for our for our organization. So that was cool to see. Um, 
But yeah, um, a lot has changed, uh, I guess, during this last year. Um, Jordan, I think you started sometime in like October or December of 2021, right? Yeah, December. Yeah, I came in like it was like the first week of December. It was like that first Monday. <laughs> okay, the first. Okay, yeah. So I mean, yeah, during your first year, obviously a lot has changed. Um, there's there's so many to list, but I would say like the most pivotal thing that has happened within the last year was our ability to kind of narrow down the list of fraud risk vendors uh, based off your relationships and your experience with them. You know, I, we were all very shocked to see like uh, how much experience you had with these different vendors. So that was actually very advantageous for us. But yeah, you, you definitely, you know, help us in, in terms of, you know, giving us the insights on, you know, which vendors are, are best and um, best fit for our organization. So. Yeah. And I think like when I joined, it was like what any any company of our size, like we we were like I heard was in a, in a place of, of huge growth, um, especially during the pandemic, you know, health and wellness like a lot of people started keeping it front of mind. So iHerb went through a tremendous amount of growth during that time. And I think that that when I joined, you guys were in a spot that was exactly where a company of this size needed to be in order to um, evaluate their tools to make sure that they were they had the right setup. Now, that doesn't mean that they have the wrong setup. It very well could have been everything was working just perfect, you know? And I think that it's important to, to, to go out to market sometimes just to make sure. And I think a great example of that is, is, you know, we had this baseline that, that like you guys have been running under for several years and that's all you really know was that baseline and you don't know how it could be better. It could be worse. And I think a great example of that was when we engaged in professional services with LexisNexis on the, on the threat metric side in order to see if they could beat it. And, you know, like, I think that there was, we used a lot of those professional service hours to get a better understanding of some of the new, the new products that they had launched, like their OSL models, which I think is super important. I think they work really well for a lot of their customers. But going back to what I was saying earlier, with our particular business, it is challenging. Um, people think that they know how to sell e-commerce products in Europe, and they might, but that's, you know, France, that's, that's the UK, you know, that's like the, the Nordic countries. They don't know how to do it in some of the smaller countries that have a completely different pattern. So what appears to be fraud to a lot of people isn't necessarily fraud for us. We know like a certain country, they they can only order a certain amount of, of product for personal consumption. So anybody that's that's placing a couple of smaller orders to try and get stuff in for their five family member household the tool might look at it as fraud, but we know, okay, in this country, this is what the limit is. We know what they're trying to do. They're not trying to set up shop. They're not trying to resell product. We got to let them go. But those are something that like has to be honed in on our exact experience with our exact business. And I think that you guys have done a really good job of understanding our specific iHerb customer and their specific purchase patterns in order to, to get the, the maximum amount of value through. Does that make sense, guys? Yeah, absolutely. And not just, and not just, and also to mention this last year also was, we've also gone through a lot of changes, you know, worldwide as well, you know, unfortunately with the Russia and Ukraine situation that really hindered our business and our business model probably quite a bit, especially when we were going through the process of, you know, talking to threat metrics and kind of looking at the OSL models and, and looking at these things when we're all of a sudden just not doing business in a certain corner of the world, it really yeah, you know, it that's, impacts a lot. That's an excellent point. Like we had all of this data 
from this region that was our primary market. And then all of a sudden we no longer have this positive data to train models on like normally like people in our space, like in our, in our full e-commerce industry, like treat Russia as a hyper risky place to do business in. Um, and we don't. And it was hard to work with, with machine learning, like pre-built black box models because we have all of this positive history in that region that we would like to feed in as as positive markers on these models when all of a sudden all we have was negative from any sort of chargebacks that were outlying but no positive sales to offset so it was a very challenging thing yeah yeah absolutely and when i actually first came into iherb um <laughs> anything that i would see yandex you know was for me bad because of what i had you know previously experienced yep. before my other job so you know and that's pretty much the norm especially when your business only does business, you know, in a certain areas. But again, that's, I hear it's very unique. That's like, it was so funny when I first joined and I was just like poking around in here, looking at some of the emails, it's just like nothing but like Ymail and 126.com and like all of these domains that like, I just never allowed to be taken at any other job but here. It's like a majority of our positive sales, you know, it's just, it's yeah. so weird to see because those are, are common in those regions when you actually do business there. But if your business doesn't do business there and you're seeing those emails, usually it's probably up to no good, but it's just, it was a, it was a big learning curve. And it's one of those things where like, like going back to what I said earlier about first 90 days where I prided myself on not coming in here and, and tearing it up. Like I, I see so many people, like so many people join organizations and try to like, they, they think that the business is expecting them to make a splash and a change overnight. And when they come in, they're just super disruptive to that. And I, I mean, I've seen it happen like two times recently, like in the past year, where a person joined a company that I know, and without any understanding of why the processes were done, try to change a bunch of things and just getting smacked because of it. And the people don't respect them. The, the business is suffering. And it just makes for a really, really rough in disruptive time when like here with me and you guys, you guys work for me. I mean, you could say however you really want to say it, but I tried to be a little more, I asked questions as to why the process to understand the process. Like, why are we accepting Y mail? Why are we accepting one, two, six? Why are we shipping these 15 different customers to a single locker? You know, and instead of just trying to cut it out, I asked you guys the questions and you guys were always pretty good at providing real answers for me. So gotta say you know yeah for sure I, I do appreciate the fact when you you know first started you didn't try to come in and start changing things up the way that you had you know had things at your previous company like for example the email the 126 and the yandex for sure like for for our customer base that's actually very normal and safe but you know maybe at your previous company that was you know deemed as high risk you know the fraud team here at IRF has been around for many years and the processes that we have currently still you know, there are just an accumulation of process improvements over the years. So, you know, we're definitely appreciative that you didn't just come in and start trying to, you know, change things up the way you thought was best fit. So, yeah. And that's like, everybody's always like, well, this is how I did it at my last company. Well, your last company isn't your current company. Um, so stop trying to do that. Everybody, hey, anybody that's listening to this, that's like trying to join another company, especially in a leadership role, stop trying to make your new company like your last company. Like you need to understand the business is it's always going to be different. Even if it's like in a similar vertical, it's probably a completely different business. So slow down, 
you got 30 days to get to know your people. You got 60 days to get to know the business. And then in those 90 days, you can start making the changes. Just slow down a little bit. No one's going to fire you if you don't come making your best thing. And if they are going to fire you because you haven't changed everything in one day, it's probably not a company that you really want to be that. It's a very short-sighted leadership situation there. So everybody go get the book, uh, the first 90 days, read that, live by it, use it as your startup Bible for when you're joining a new company um, and you'll be better because of it. And your staff will respect you more because of it. So there's my, there's my uh, rant about that. So let's talk about the, the manual review team because we do have staff that we that isn't us. We have staff that are the front lines um, on the ground every day doing the work, looking at the orders, um, and they are good, like obviously, uh, because they work here. But I think it's really interesting because I've seen manual review teams that haven't had to deal with the bullshit that our manual review teams have to deal with because of like the, the types of orders, the nature of our business. Like it's just, we have resellers and we do allow resellers from time to time. Um, things are in different languages, different patterns. Like talk about our team a little bit, guys. Like let's sing their praises. Yeah, we have a definitely a solid core team. Um at the peak of our of our team, we actually were a team of 13. Now we're down to, I believe, like seven people. But yeah, so all the stuff that we're doing now, you know, it, it's been put into place throughout the years. Uh, the team pretty much runs itself now, thanks to all the processes from our predecessors that were put into place. And we just try to improve upon uh, the processes. Um, yeah, but I, I guess... I guess one of the the things that me and KDF or Chris try to implement here now with the smaller team is pretty much just try to cross train everybody on everything that comes through our team. So, you know, we want everyone to be a subject matter expert when it comes to anything that crosses our path. So, for example, manual review, obviously, and the chargeback processes, the chargeback representments, the emails and, mm -hmm. you know, the, the rewards abuse. Yeah. So I will say guys, like um, for my listeners, like my manual review frontline team does not just do manual review. We have other things that our team is responsible for. Um, we, we have rewards um, at our company. So if the more you purchase, the more you give like your affiliate code out, you gain rewards and you can use those money to buy other things. Um, we do allow a certain amount of, of rewards cash outs. And, and those are also monitored for, by my team for fraudulent activity ATOs that might be gaining access to these rewards balances on these accounts and trying to cash out and steal people's rewards. Um, so those are things that fall in our scope. Um, we also help out a little bit um, with the refund abuse. Now that is a different team that lands more in the customer experience and customer service team, but we do um, assist with them when they request it. Um, obviously the chargebacks are a large piece. Every company has got chargebacks. Um, we are still trying to do um, some more automation around that, but there's there's a lot that needs to be done. We really want to get things dialed in before we launch things right. So my my staff has, they wear a lot of hats. Um, it gives them a lot of responsibilities and it diversifies their day. So they don't just get caught in this, like just being a, a robot approving orders all day. So we try to mix it up a little bit. We also try to have some flexibility with their schedules so they can have um, some sort of personal life as well. Yeah, I, I think that we're pretty fortunate with uh, the staff that we have have on board um you know as you said every everybody that we that that we have on here is is they do their job and they do their job very well we don't need to micromanage or anything like that plus i mean that's not even that's not my style i know that's not steve's style um they can really run the day-to-day -day by themselves and it, we're very fortunate for that and um you know i know for myself my like my approach with them is, is i allow them you know to also 
do their thing, right? If 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 they have something pressing or if they have things that they need to get to, I say, okay, you know, just take it one step at a time. If you need to get to something, you know, go ahead and weigh out what you need to do first. And I, I trust them with the decisions that they're going to make on, you know, how to do things and what to do. Um, yeah, I think, um, and that's a good point, like to, to trust their decisions. I mean, especially with you guys, I know for me, like I trust your guys to make the right decisions for the business. So, um, and I, I also like, well, obviously empower you guys a lot, but also trust you guys a lot. Like, like I ask a lot of you guys, um, to go to people to get things that we need to get done. Like Steve, I, I usually ask you to go to your, to, to Jimmy, to get our BI stuff done, you know, KDF, I ask you to go handle a lot of our fraud stuff with like the local and things like that, you know, or, or chargeback stuff. Um, but when you can really trust your people to, to, to follow through, um, and make the right decisions and, and trust them to be autonomous, like it, it, it does like we hire professionals to do professional work, you know, at the end of the day. And it's nice when like those people rise to like that expectation and that occasion. The way I look at it is I'm here, I'm here for support. You know, I'm here to be a pillar of support for my team. And um, it, obviously, you know, I, I allow them to make their own decisions, you know, on certain things and everything. But when I know that there's something more pressing, right? For example, if there's something that that can really catch the eye of, of a higher being, <laughs> then I will actually make, I will come in, you know, if I have to make the decision, I'll do that just so that way the, you know, I, I like to be accountable for my team. Anything that they do, you know, also is going to fall on me. So, and I'm never going to point the finger at my team members. I'm never going to say, oh, this is your fault. I'm always going to be there for them 100% and be supportive 100%. I'm only as good as, you know, as I make my that's team true. how they are so. yeah and, and i you know that's another thing like to go back like i see other people and like the same people that are like try to join these companies and 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 say like they're trying to make effect change immediately you know a lot of times if they do have any sort of change like they try to be like i did that and it's like no like even if like it was your idea the execution probably wasn't there was a lot of people that went into play and i think like making sure that like your like one of the things it's like the servant leadership thing i've kind of talked about this on on I think it was episode five that i did with my buddy steve ashton is like the servant leadership situation in in these types of roles is you as a leader are there to support your people and you're their servant it's not the other way around and i think a lot of people try and treat their people under them to serve them go do this for me go go get this done for me you know uh do this this is your job when it's like you here's our goal and here's where we're at we need to get to this goal let's all work towards this goal and if there's anything that's in the way of get of you getting to this goal or your personal goal i'm here to remove that blocker for you or give you the tools to get that done like i'm here to enable you and if your people excel like so many people get so worried about how they're viewed from their boss up top um, and it gets to be a really selfish thing. And it's just the, the way the world is, is like they want to make sure that they are seen as important. So they don't lose their job, I would assume. But they want to make sure that they're seen as important and crucial to the success of the organization. And so they say their their team will do something and build something. And they say, OK, look what I did, you know, because their team did it when they fail to see that if your team has success, the people on your team and they're rising and they're having the, they're hitting these goals they're hitting these milestones and they're having this level of success that looks good to your leadership on you as a leader, that they were able to achieve those goals and, and create this thing. And you don't have to say, I did that. You can say, look what my team did. And we did this as a team together. And it's just, it's, it's so much better, not only for 
your people under you and how they view you as a as an individual and as a leader, but also better for the, the company to see that you are good at managing a team and you're not if you're a one man army, then like, what do you need the team for? You know, so you can actually have a negative effect on that. I don't know. It's just my rant. It's just how I've always ran it. And I think you guys see like when, when I do meetings and other things with other people, like I always call you guys out for your piece of the business, like what you did on your piece, you know, like you got these numbers or you fought these chargebacks. Like I try to make sure that like you guys get your, your name and your FaceTime, uh, especially when we're, we're, we're talking to, to leadership internally. So that's just me. That's a big rant. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, yeah, I, <clears throat> yeah. I agree with that. It's that's the way I see it as well. Uh, I remember when I was. I mean, this might be a little. I mean, it's not you know real real world stuff here. But when I was you know even in football in high school, you know, guess who took out the the water jug with all the ice? The team captains did. You know, they were the ones that took out the water for the rest it's of the team. It's a little bit of humility, you know, there, just you know? exactly. Yeah. And and you know, we all kind of need to have that. I've been fortunate enough to have good bosses. And I've been fortunate enough to have bad bosses too. <laughs> so I've, you know, I've learned from each and one of them, um, you know, how I would like to approach things and, and you know, and stuff like that. So it's okay. just, um, well, that's a good segue. What's it like working for me? Tell, tell the world what it's really like working for me, guys. <laughs> um, no, I, I really enjoy working for you, Jordan. I, I feel like I, I definitely have the same feeling that I had, you know, before where you're allow, you allow us to really be creative and, you know, expand within our roles. And that's one of the things that I've always liked, especially coming from, you know, you're, I'm a musician, you're a musician. We love to be creative, you know, in certain things. And, you know, don't be surprised when I say that you can be creative when it comes to analytics and business, you know, and, and in fraud world and stuff like that, you can do a lot of different things to help mitigate these losses. So, you know, I, I, I do enjoy coming in, you know, working for you, I feel like I can be myself. Um, yeah, I feel, yeah, you, you know, it's, it's, it's a great environment for sure. You can sip on a little bit of bourbon while we're recording a podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, you know, just not to, before Steve, you go and answer your, your part of it. Um, I just got a delivery just a little bit ago, um, of a new, uh, Colonel EH Taylor and a, uh, and an Eagle rare. Um, and I got them at retail price. I didn't pay over Ooh. retail. So what's that EH Taylor? Let me see. Small batch. It is the small batch one, yeah. And I got it for retail. I got it from a uh, Mission Wine and Spirits up in uh, up in Woodland Hills. So they actually oh, were able to send it to me. So I'm pretty happy for this uh, this weekend, even though it's only Tuesday. I'm pretty happy for this weekend when I can try it. So <laughs> yeah, that looks pretty good. I was yeah, recently so... watching the movie, and and um, I forgot what movie it was, but your Blantons came on. Like, oh, oh, did that's... it? Jordan oh, Blantons right there. That's my Blantons. That's that's my daily driver. I had a little bit on uh, Sunday morning. Um, well, not morning, nice. not like, not like the crack of dawn, but during football, <laughs> yeah. but I, I got to ration it because I I'm only down to two bottles. So I have to, uh, Yeesh. I have to make sure I don't, I don't rip through it. So Steve, yeah. what about you? What's it like working for me? Yeah. I mean, it's been great, you know, working under you when I, when I first learned that you were coming on board, you know, I took a little peep at your resume and I was pretty amazed at the amount of knowledge and credentials that you had so that was very exciting to see you know that I'll be working under someone like that um being that for me personally I've only had experience in the fraud industry under iHerb so everything that I know about fraud it's it's related to iHerb right so yeah. you coming from the outside having you know a lot of experience at different type of you know companies I, I love the fact that I'm able to just pick your brain on anything fraud related so that's that's like my biggest takeaway from like 
you coming on board, like you're pretty much like a knowledge base for me. And I've seen what you've done for your career and how you've kind of set up, you know, pretty much cemented your name in the in the industry. And, you know, it, for someone like me, it kind of motivates me to try to replicate something like like you've created for yourself. Thank you. And I and I think like, you know, with you guys, we talked about um career trajectories and and having momentum earlier. It's one of those things with you guys and like Steve, you 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 brought it up to me a lot. Like you and I have had these conversations a lot um, about like what what your future could look like in the industry. And I try to make sure that you guys are are being involved. Like like one of the goals that that you know we had last year, but kind of got derailed, was like that you guys go and speak at a conference. Like you go do some sort of panel, some sort of thing, you know, which is is kind of what I normally do. But I want you guys to be able to have that too, as long as you're hungry for it. You know, we talked about it. And getting you guys to 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 be out, like get you out of the office into the industry more. So you get that exposure outside of just iHerb. So you can see the different how how different companies are doing kind of the things that we do. And we're going to talk about that in the next the, the, the final part here is kind of the trends that that we see versus what other people see. Um, but I think it was really important to start getting you like Steve, you were able to go to Boston for the Riskified conference, um, which I think was really good for you to finally get to spend some face time with some of your peers in the industry. Um, and KDF, you're going to be coming with us to the MRC in a couple of months here, like about a month and a half now. Um, that's coming up quick. So uh, I think that's going to be real good for the three of us to really go and and, and spend some time a whole week in Las Vegas um, with our peers and it really be like share our behind the story line or behind the, the line stories with a lot of people at, at wonderful dinners and wonderful cocktail hours. So um, thank you guys for, for, for allowing me to come in here too. I think um, there were some changes that had to get made, unfortunately, during during the the scale backs and it was is a lot to ask you know when you when you see companies that go through changes like that um it can be it can lead to a lot of uncertainty on folks and i, I think i was trying to be as transparent as i possibly could with you guys it's just like bear with me and we're gonna we're gonna get through this and i think we we came out the other side and i think that you guys have have really both um really come into your own as far as like what your role is and, and how you guys are approaching it so any thoughts there? Yeah, thank you. Um, and yeah, a lot of it is because, you know, the fact that you're, you're, you're able to, or you allow us also to, you know, kind of do our thing and, and, you know, be creative with how we approach things. So, you know, it all goes hand in hand. So, I give you guys the goal and how you guys get to the goal is up to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. It, it all goes hand in hand. And, and um, yeah, we feel pretty, pretty comfortable, confident, especially coming into this year. You know, last year was very unprecedented in a lot yeah. of ways. I mean, starting from the very beginning, it, there was just a lot of changes that were were made, not just in the industry, but in, you know, certain corners of the world, you know, and just the worldwide, it was very unprecedented. So hopefully I think this year will be a little bit more smooth sailing. I don't know. We'll yeah. see. Maybe we'll get a 2022 S <laughs> <laughs> instead of 2023. Yeah. Okay, guys. What about, uh, how about any negatives? Any negatives working for me? Huh? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> my mic cut off what happened oh oh that's right oh mm. <laughs> let's talk about the trends that we're seeing specifically in our business and what i think and what we think we might be seeing in uh 2023 going forward so this is going to be the first episode um as we all know as you're all listening you're still here um this is the stuff that i think that we're seeing and that i think we're other people are going to see outside of just us um, so I kind of broke it down. I got three different things that I want to talk about as far as um, what we're currently working on. And then we'll kind of go into um, 
some of the trends that are happening in the future. So obviously, I think one of the things that that with us that we are aware of, and we have done a lot of work around, um, especially in the last year, is is rewards. Now, uh, I've been saying on a lot of podcasts and a lot of my panels that people are going to be attacking non-monetary situations on your website a lot more. So um, granted rewards balances, like these are like points, Hilton points, you know, like uh, airline points, all those sorts of things, which we've known are going to be targeted for a number of years, but I've really been seeing it kind of crank up to 11 of people trying to exploit and game systems to get some sort of monetary reward out of them that isn't necessarily regular credit card carding fraud. So what are your guys' thoughts on that? Yeah, we, yeah, our, our rewards program, you know, it's a very enticing program for a lot of users. So there's definitely a lot of um, demand for, you know, for that aspect of our business. But with that, you know, with these incentives brings obviously the bad actors. And we've definitely seen an increase in, you know, policy rewards abuse. And we, we tried our best to stay ahead of it. Um, but it's, it got think- a little... Yeah, I will say that we we've done a really 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 good job of staying ahead of it. I think like where with with me specifically, like a lot of it is automated. I just want to automate more, <laughs> but that's just like the nature of my business. But I, I will say like you guys have done a really good way. Like we we pass our rewards payouts through um our fraud tools as well, folks. And I think that that is if you're not doing that at your current company, like you should. But uh, there's still we have a, we have an element of manual review that comes with that as well that I think um, in an, in an ever ongoing quest for optimization, there's always opportunities there. So yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to jump in. Yeah, we work closely with the rewards team and on, you know, they, they come to us for recommendations on like, what's the best practice here? We're, we're going to launch this new product. Like is they always come to us for, you know, for our advice on any, any risk. Um, but it did get a little tricky because um, obviously ATOs, the hot topic of ATOs, it's one thing, but then it's different. It hits different when they're abusing both the reward side plus ATO and one. So that's another area that we've been working on in the last year. But um, we've worked closely with our information security team and we've put in a lot of measures in place to kind of secure our customer accounts. Yeah. And coming back to what we said, you know, about about earlier about our customer being unique, you know, we, we our InfoSec team had has done a great job of developing some in-house tools that specifically address our unique customers to protect us against ATOs. Um, and that's something that we've been running the last year and it's just getting better and better and better. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and we're all, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. We're always looking to, you know, refine our processes. We're always out there in the market to see what new technologies are out there. What more can we do with our existing stuff? So we're always on the lookout for like the next thing. Right. Yeah, I will say that like you guys have um you had already built a very robust KPI dashboard here um that has about 12 or 13 different tiles on it of 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 things that we monitor on this particular team uh around like a false positive rates approval rates, you know, chargeback rates of course. And I will say that that has been a a very good driver of of ideas and activities for optimization trying to enhance those those individual metrics obviously like you know anyway it's done panels with me approval rates is my is my big driver i think that we need to to really increase our approval rates as 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 an industry instead of being the decliners um we need to to work on on getting more accurate decisions and getting our rates up and i will say that we we really focused on that as a company over the last year uh to really drive that 
and get and get our products into the, our customers' hands faster with less friction. And I, I think that we've it's a real big testament to what we've done over here. But there's always you know more optimization that could be done, and you just gotta really watch it so you don't push it too far, you know. <laughs> And our, our communication, like cross department communication over the last year has really, really improved. So we can really make sure that like when we make changes or when they make changes, you know, we 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 tend to to be able to keep each other in the loop to a certain level that uh, has been really helpful. So people can understand the why when we change things um, and, and what that's going to affect. And then they have the answers, especially like on order declines for different types of reasons. Like they have the answers that they can tell those customers right up front instead of having to wait and reassign it and, and all that. So that's, yeah. a, that's a good point, Jordan. Um, that's also another thing that we've worked on, right? And within the last year is, is better communication, transparency. And I think that we've come a long way, especially just in this last year, you know, with different departments and kind of working, you know, with other realms within, you know, our, um, our organization, it, it's, it's made us better as a team, but you know, the fact that we're approachable and other teams are approachable, that's, that's very important. And I think we've learned that, you know, within these last, especially six months. Yeah. I think that the, um, it was a real big focus of mine to make sure that like we were, as I always say in the room when decisions were being made, so that we can can make sure that our our piece of the business is is protected from the beginning instead of playing like catch up with everybody um and it seems to be going pretty well and i and i and i will say the understanding that we get from from some of the leadership from the other teams like when we make changes is a lot more understanding now as to what's happening like they just like it used to be like they'd be like what's going on why is this happening and now it's more hey this is what we think's happening we just want to double check. All right, thank you. And then they leave, you know, and, and they, they take what they need. They, they already know how to have like the soft skills to answer it. Um, you know, one of the things that's, that's always a challenge in, in fraud is, is balancing like your friction. And we have that same balancing act happening here. We're not immune to that at this company. So we have a lot of customers that have unique purchasing patterns that sometimes can get caught up in, in things like fraud rules or even velocity limits uh, elsewhere. Um, or even ATO stuff, even when our machine learning, you know, like they just are traveling and they just happen to be hit the right number of, of, of criteria and they get caught up on it. And we can't change like the protection for the masses for like the one, you know, and I think that that's something that's, that's been really worked on this last year is like, when we do have a false positive, is it indicative of a larger problem or is it just like literally a one-off, like we were working on one today. It was like literally a one-off and there's nothing that we could do about that. Like that was completely like the Lemony Snicket series of unfortunate events for that poor customer. But we need to protect the vast majority of those customers. So we can't change that for that one person. But for the most part, there was nothing that we could do about that. And I think that that's, that's one of those things like where we, when we really opened up that communication, we, we were able to get a lot more done cross department. And like you said that, you know, the transparency, I always try to be transparent with you guys, try to be transparent with the overall team. And I try to be really transparent with our leadership here and tell them the reason why, even when it's not positive, the reason why something is happening um, to be completely honest with them. So there's no blindsiding and no shock. So you don't need to put lipstick on a pig. You can be honest with your, with your folks, both up and down. And it goes a lot, a lot further on how a company and how people view you and trust you. So, yeah, that makes sense, guys. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, Jordan, it, yeah. Go ahead, Steve. Yeah. 
No, for sure, Jordan. Like I, I do feel like you've done a good job with, you know, the executive team here and, and you know, other leadership um, in our organization, like your delivery of, you know, whatever we're doing on our side and just giving that justification, like everyone is, is you know, understanding of the changes. So, you know, in the past, we may have, you know, run into some issues, but ever since you've joined, um, it's been pretty smooth sailing so far. I appreciate that. I mean, sometimes I'm a, I'm an oversharer, you know, but uh, at the end of the day, it needs to, some things just need to be said, like the reason why I don't, I don't like to hide things like, you know, if like we, we had that, that problem where we had a couple extra chargebacks come in one month and we were just super honest about why it was happening. Um, and it was completely out of our hands again on that. That was a, com a completely freak thing. Um, but we like, we're able to solve it real quick. Like your vigilance on that, um, Steve, thank you for that. And finding those happening right away uh, was was super good. And we were able to uh, attack it, I think even that same day. So we were able to fix that, which is just a testament to like how, if you can have your 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 time of, on your day spent really searching for the things instead of trying to like fix broken processes, like you have a lot more time to open up to find people that are exploiting it. And I think that like we have we have a pretty good, KPI system and it set up a pretty good data system where we can get to the data that we need. And you guys are familiar enough with the back end that you can figure out what's going on. So let's um, kind of end up with some of the things. Now I have a list that I think is, um, we have some lists on these notes that we have, but I have another list. I did an interview for a um, an upcoming article about what I think the top trends are going to be in 2023. So I'm going to talk about these guys and let's just have a quick chat about them. And then, uh, and then we'll wrap up here. So I think um, there's going to be the first two are going to be kind of hand in hand. I think policy abuse and refund abuse are still going to be the biggest things. I think people trying to exploit rewards policies like $5 rewards, um, any sort of incentives that you might have in order to get free product or get free cash is still going to be heavily exploited with with shell accounts, with with people making more purchases and they're supposed to, and then obviously trying to refund those very same products and get to keep the products. I think those are still going to be massive problems and probably grow. And I think it's going to have to be one of those things that's like, it's solved with technology. Um, you know, you can queue up all of the things that you want, but I think you, in order to really, I think it's going to grow to a problem that it has to be solved with technology. Uh, personally, I think you need, you're going to need to use your fraud tools in these, these sorts of places in places that you wouldn't normally use your fraud tools, if that makes sense. Yeah, I guess for me, I, I do think abuse or policy abuse, whether it be your return service or rewards program in our case, it's probably going to be targeted this year. So you don't necessarily need to place a fraudulent order to, you know, fraud a company. Uh, for example, like our company, we have a rewards program. You can actually cash out those funds. So it's it's very important to have, you know, the correct technology and have all the data that you need to make the, the sound decisions there. Yeah. You know, there's not only from just like a regular fraud prevention, but from compliance and all of that, you know, like it, there, these are attractive programs that, that we like as a business that we don't want to deprecate, you know, because they are, our customers like it, our customers rely on them, they use them. Um, and we don't want to just like try and stifle a program that a lot of our customers get value and benefit out of, you know? And I, I think like that, that a lot of times there's a knee jerk reaction just to shut something off versus, like solve for the actual underlying issue, which leads me to my next thing, which is I think bots are going to continue to be more problematic um, as fraudsters 
get more sophisticated. And like I, I actually was said it on that same interview that I did that I think that the technology for for bots and for scripts is is becoming more available to the the, the regular public. Like the layman is able to find tools in order to to scam systems more than they than they used to be. What, what was reserved for more technologically advanced individuals is now more available to the masses. So you will see more bots attacking you, creating accounts, creating those shell accounts to do those abusive things like like gaming policies or gaming um gaming rewards credits or extra coins if you're gaming, whatever it may be. Um, I think that those are really going to be more than ever so make sure that you have a, a really good um defense system against bots and scripting on your site um looking creating shell accounts doing nefarious activities changing addresses you know all sorts of crazy stuff so that's one there you guys have any thoughts about that yeah we, we've definitely had our share of you know bot attacks on our site uh, specifically in the reward side where you know there's a lot of like repetitive actions that the fraudster must do to kind of game the system. So I, I think our security team did a pretty good job on implementing, you know, like perimeter X to stop those kind of attacks. But the fraudsters always find a hole and, and they will attack. So so we're prepared on our side to, you know, we won't be surprised if they do attack yeah. us this year. So it's we're, good we're that ready. we have people like we have time to monitor these sorts of things too. So when we see it happen, we can address it. And that's one thing like coming back to like our team being cross-trained in other things you know it's it's good to have them have time to be able to look for these sorts of things because these patterns are important yeah and our and our security team is is very open to kind of showing us you know how perimeter x works and they're they're open to teaching us like in areas that we might not be fully familiar with so again it comes back to kind of having that good uh collaboration with other Correct. teams yeah. yeah that's one thing that we have every other meet week every other week we meet with our security team and we we share we do a knowledge share both back and forth um and they get to know what we're working on we share lists back and forth and it keeps everybody in the know of what's happening because there's a lot of crossover on security teams and fraud teams so there's a lot of times that they have tools that can help us and our tools can help them and it's really really important to keep everybody on the same page i know i've talked about it a couple of times on here but still want to drive it home in 2023 that's still going to be relevant so another big thing that i think is is going to be important and actually i can kind of combine the two of these things maybe um the re-emergence of a triangulation scheme and for those that don't know a triangulation scheme is when somebody sets up like a website and offers a product for a certain price and then an unsuspecting end user comes on and makes a purchase on that product on for that product on that website and that that order gets fulfilled by using stolen credentials on on a main site another site in order to fulfill that order and ship it directly to the customer. So at the end of the day, like usually the address and everything is 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 going to the end using customer, but the credit card credentials might have a different name on it or not be to belong to them. Uh, it's a whole it's a whole thing. Now that's something that we've seen really be reemerging. And I think a lot of that is related to like the the ease of putting up like a a Facebook ad type site where you can just drop in you know, a couple sponsored dollars, get drive traffic to your website, sell that that pool heater or that, that patio heater for half price, and then use stolen credentials to buy that patio heater from like a target or something like that. So the reemergence of, of triangulation schemes, I think is is pretty big. Um, you know, we thought we'd all solve that 10 years ago. And here it is coming back with a with a new type of scheme. And I think one of the things too that 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 is related to that is um the address manipulations to get around static blocks like so many times you would you would block 
a shipping address to try and stop it from going like going to like a uh, like a, a blank lot, you know, or going to one, two, three Main Street. Well, now you're seeing the fraudsters just add like X one, two, three Main Street or spell Main wrong or, or put Main Avenue on there in order to get around those blocks. And so if you're not using any sort of address like manipulation or address uh, cleaning tools, you know, you could you could have a really bad time there. So, uh, Steve, I know you were kind of working a lot on, on some of the address manipulation stuff here. So what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, definitely the address manipulation is an issue. Um, I know some fraud services, it might be a little bit more harder to kind of solve that problem because, you know, in the, say the shipping line one, if they put special characters in it, certain fraud vendors might not be able to pick up on non-English characters. But thankfully, like the, the service that we're with now is able to kind of clean up that address and, you know, see what the real address is and not get confused by like, you know, asterisks or and signs. So, uh, yeah. I think like just to, for the audience, it is what Steve just kind of mentioned there is, is super important. Um, you need to figure out the limitations of your fraud tool. And it might not be anything that like you did wrong. It might be an actual technical limitation, like the special characters or foreign characters might not translate well to your fraud tool. So there are certain things like if you're seeing any sort of weirdness like that, like my very first recommendation is to call your fraud tool um, and get them on the phone, talk to them about it, because it could not be an issue on their side. It could be how you're sending the information to them. So you want to make sure that there's that they can handle special characters, foreign characters, Chinese characters, those sorts of things, the Russian, the crazy R, you know, whatever it may be uh, and get and see if there's a technological fix to that. And there, there might be, there might not be. And if there's not, you know, you might need to normalize that information on your side first before you send it to your fraud tool to make sure that you're getting the accurate information. So those are my main ones that I think is going to be bigger in, in 23. Obviously, like we're still going to have carding. It's still going to always be a thing. That's a forever thing. I just think there's going to be more use of technology from the fraudster side in order to come at us um, from all angles. But thankfully, like I am I'm very proud of, of you guys and the work that you guys do and the vigilance that you guys have. So I'm not worried about um, any sort of, of craziness happening on our side. I say that with knock on wood, but I think that we have a, an excellent team that's extremely vigilant and extremely transparent with each other. Um, and we keep our fingers on the pulse of what's happening. So yeah. Any final words, guys? Um, no, not really, but uh, just want to thank you, Jordan, for having us on, you know, helping us get exposure in the industry. So thank you for that. That's what I always I, I, I always pay. So no bonuses this year, guys. You guys are getting paid in exposure like any good <laughs> uh, Reddit artist. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you for having us on here, Jordan. This was definitely a, uh, a great experience. And we yeah, we definitely appreciate it. So. Yeah. Hey guys, thanks again for coming on here. Thanks for, for working for me. Um, you guys have been here for a long time. We're going to have a great 2023. Um, I'm excited about the stuff that we're building. So once again, guys, thanks again for being a crucial part of my team. Thanks for leading your people on our team and for being a, a fundamental part of the iHerb team. Thanks guys.